childhood itself that brings hope and joy. So it's kind of too bad that there's not much in Scripture about Jesus' formative years. We have pictures of Jesus as a baby, and then later there's a scene from when he was 12. And then, boom, all of a sudden he's a 30-year-old man. They just grow up so fast, don't they? And yet a lot must have happened during that time to make Jesus who he was and who he is. He must have had some kind of schooling with teachers and classmates and friends. We know Jesus had siblings and cousins who he surely played with and maybe argued with from time to time. And in today's reading from the Gospel of Luke, we're reminded that Jesus had a religious community too. He was raised in a community of faith like ours, full of extra aunts and uncles and grandparents who blessed him and celebrated him from the time he was a baby. Simeon and Anna, in particular, are lifted up in this story as non-parent adults who had influence on Jesus' family. At least in this, these encounters at the temple, they, they each take some time to rejoice over baby Jesus. And they sing about all the plans that God has for him. Oh, the places you'll go, they seem to say. While Mary and Joseph look on with wonder and surely a bit of pride. It's the kind of thing we'd, we'd expect to happen at an infant baptism or dedication. Only if you read closely, it's interesting to note that these encounters, they're as much about the elderly people involved as they are about the baby Jesus. Simeon and Anna rejoice and sing about what God has done for them and for the world because of this child. Jesus gets celebrated, but they are the ones who feel blessed. Isn't that also often how it is? This is why I think it's particularly important that we make opportunities for intergenerational connection among us today, since this seems to be part of how God blesses us with new life. For example, Stephanie Hill and I have been hosting middle school game nights at the church this year, and last week one of the parents uh, tagged along just for the fun of it. Afterwards, she mentioned that she really appreciated the time, because there's no other space in her life for that kind of recreation. I mean, where, where else would you get a chance to play hide-and-go-seek tag? It just doesn't happen. We need middle schoolers for that kind of thing. And, and then when she said that, I admitted to her, one of the reasons I like it is because I enjoy a bit of silliness too. I think everybody should. Really, I don't think other adults know what they're missing because those kids are hilarious. But then I'm also in it for the spiritual formation aspect too, believe it or not which is harder to explain to others since this looks so different in a youth context. Children are even less likely than adults to sit down and listen to a sermon or to study the Bible together. Obviously, you can't do that with babies or toddlers at all, so I find that in some ways the discipleship of children has, be, has to be more embodied, more integrated into the details of everyday life, which is what Jesus came to do. For example, a few years ago, I got together for lunch with an adult leader from the youth group I grew up with in high school, a man named Doug. He led a small group and chaperoned youth trips, helped out with events, things like that. Doug has four kids of his own, uh, but he always still made time for other people's kids in the church too, which I found uh, laudable. People like Doug are super important. 
Because studies have shown that when it comes to growing up in the community of faith, non-parent adults have a huge effect on young people. They are mentors and role models, sometimes able to have conversations that parents just can't manage for a variety of reasons. Anyway, I felt like Doug is good at this, so I asked him if he had any pointers to share with me. And his advice was pretty simple. He said, it's all about patience. Doug explained to me, he said, it takes a lot of time to actually get to know kids. And the reality is that you might spend months or years doing silly stuff, like playing games, talking about nothing in particular, just so that God can use you in one particular conversation when, when a kid is really listening. And you might not even be, be aware of the significance of that conversation at the time. It's all about putting in the time. That's just the way God works. I found this advice of Doug's to be pretty helpful. Simple advice often is the best. And it's consistent with other things I've read about ministry to children and youth as well. We probably all heard that proverb, it takes a village to raise a child, which implies a situation where children are constantly interacting with their fellow villagers, including the village elders. This is the kind of community Jesus was raised in. The kind that we would do well to build if we want to help children grow into Jesus' stature. It's not, it's not a village like the village of Western Springs. We're talking about something smaller, more intimate, where people know each other by name and look out for each other. It's a community where people show up for one another day after day, week after week, year after year, where people put in the time. Can you think of a community like that? There's some research related to this that I tell people about all the time. I learned about it from a seminary professor named Roger Nishioka, who took part in the study, shared the results. The researchers wanted to know what, what it takes to develop community. How long it takes before people feel a sense of belonging to, or real commitment to a group. So they did a big study of church small groups, arranging them in different ways, having them engage in different, different activities. In the end, the researchers found that it is mostly just a function of time. That regardless of what people do together, it seems to take about 17 hours of togetherness before trust develops. So that people can have deeper conversations. Interestingly, the, the 17 hours can come in any combination. It could be an hour a week for 17 weeks or 17 hours straight on a long weekend retreat. But there is a catch. It has to be the same people for the full 17 hours. If one person doesn't show up, then that hour doesn't count. Maybe two people in the group will develop some kind of a bond, but in order for true community to form, there has to be continuity in the village. And I think in terms of the church, this means that every person's participation matters. In many ways, we depend on each other to simply show up, regardless of what we do when we're together. It's our very presence in the community of faith that makes a difference. 
It's kind of like that other well-known proverb, you know, 90% of life is just showing up. Or that other proverb, 80% of statistics are made up on the spot. I love that one. I'll share one more example from my experience that you might resonate with uh, about my, my youth group in middle school. I didn't actually participate in it, in my middle school youth group, because at the time I thought it was lame. But I did the confirmation program at my church because uh, it seemed like it was expected. And, it, and that turned out to be great. There were just four of us in the class, all 13-year-old boys. We had a really great leader who wasn't a minister or anything. He was just an elder named Mr. Coleman who seemed to know a lot about the Bible. And he wore really nice suits. I remember I liked his ties for some reason. And we definitely achieved our 17 hours of togetherness through weekly meetings and a weekend retreat. So I felt pretty close to those guys by the end. But unfortunately, that feeling of togetherness didn't last. I think it was about a year later, I found myself in ninth grade, and I decided that I should give the high school youth group a try. So I showed up at the weekly meeting where I, I, I found these three guys who I hadn't seen in quite a while since confirmation had ended. I said, hi, Chris. Hey, Eric. Oh, Odie, how you doing? But they just looked at me kind of funny and pretended like we had never met. It was awkward and disorienting. I remember going home that night feeling kind of angry at having been snubbed. I thought to myself, you know, that, this doesn't make any sense. This is my church. Of course I know those guys. I'm not going to let them make me feel like an outsider in my own church. And I remember making a conscious decision at that point that I would never miss youth group again. I would show up at those meetings every week from then on so that they would know who I was and wouldn't get away with pretending that they didn't. And I did. It wasn't a very uh, laudable reason for participating, but it worked. That's how I got to know Doug and the other, other adult leaders. I got to have many other positive church experiences. But the irony is that those other three guys from confirmation class, they never came back. I found out years later that they had all felt exactly the way that I had felt in that interaction. But they had had the opposite reaction that I did. They hadn't stayed connected to the church the way that I had by showing up every week. So it no longer felt like their church after a while. And they just gave up on it. I wonder if I had reached out to them if things had gone differently. I still think about that sometimes, since I know that adults often do the same thing. Even 17 hours of togetherness isn't enough if people don't keep coming back. It reminds me of another proverb that's popular in 12-step programs. Keep coming back, they say. You've got to keep coming back. And maybe a related saying we could cultivate among ourselves in the church could be, Keep welcoming others. We who do keep coming back, we have to keep welcoming others so that they would keep coming back. We have to welcome new babies like Jesus. We have to welcome strangers and enemies the way that Jesus taught us to do. 
And we even have to welcome and re-welcome those insiders who already have their 17 hours of togetherness. People like Simeon and Anna. Because maintaining a village requires welcoming each other over and over and over again. Which brings me back to the Scripture lesson. I know it probably feels like I wandered off for a while there. You may have noticed I haven't been saying much about God or spirituality, and it's Christmas. I've been talking about children and youth programs, community building, church groups. All of this to make the point that it takes a lot of seemingly insignificant experiences to make room for the ultimately ultimate significance of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And that's what embodiment is all about. St. Luke may only include a couple of chapters about Jesus' infancy and childhood, but keep in mind that it took 30 years of community to prepare Jesus for His ministry. That's a lot of time. 30 years of preparation for just three years of service. And yet God was in the midst of all of it. I mean, think about the, the faithful tradition and institutional commitment that went into the experience of Jesus' family. All the things that Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah did to maintain their own faith. And consider all the, the other people who were part of, of Jesus' 30 years of faith formation, the rest of His community. It wasn't like Jesus was a self-made Savior who taught Himself everything He needed to know in order to take on the principalities and powers of the world. That's not how the story goes. Nor was Jesus an adult convert who was suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit like some some superhero being struck by lightning. That's also not the story that we celebrate. No, Jesus was part of a, a family of faith. A huge family. He had parents who were faithful and devout. Mary and Joseph had baby Jesus circumcised on the eighth day according to Jewish law even though it was prohibited by the government at the time. His parents were taking a significant risk as part of their public witness of faith. And in dedicating Jesus at the temple, His parents were entrusting Him to a larger community of faith that was doing the same things, including these elders, Simeon and Anna. These two were devout, dedicated non-parent adults who took time to bless Jesus and pray for Him. Anna in particular, Luke says this 84-year-old woman, she practically lived at the temple. It was like she never left. Years and years, each of these saints spent in worship, watching and waiting for the Savior of the world. And how long did their significant meeting with Jesus last? Five minutes maybe? All those years are preparing for one moment. And yet, they still felt like they were the ones who were blessed. Can you believe that? And that was only the beginning of Jesus' faith formation. Later, we learn that Jesus' that Jesus's family, they also went once a year to Jerusalem. They took pilgrimages 
along with the rest of their whole village. And on the way, Jesus would interact with all sorts of pilgrims to the point where Mary and Joseph, sometimes they didn't even know where he was at. He could have been sharing, with jo- sharing jokes with friends on the side of the road, playing games at the back of the caravan, asking questions of the priests in the temple. Who knows? This was all a part of who Jesus was as a child. How God was at work in His life through the community of faith. An intergenerational support system that helped Jesus to grow in wisdom and stature. Preparing Him to offer up His life for the sake of the entire world. And friends, the good news today is that we too have been given this gift of faithful community. God has blessed us also with a solid village, or at least the makings of one. We have the the kind of radical kinship that helped welcome the Savior of the world. So we, we who have our 17 hours of togetherness in already, we who keep coming back Sunday after Sunday, even on the Sunday right after Christmas, the way we keep welcoming each other, and welcoming new babies, and sometimes middle schoolers, the way we create different opportunities for different generations to come together in silliness, and sometimes in, silly, in serious conversations, we share joy and encouragement through the mundane experiences of life so that all of us would grow up into the full stature of Christ Jesus. Like Simeon and Anna, may we also give thanks that truly God is with us and the Gospel continues in us for the salvation of the entire world. Amen?
present God, God of all creation, and God who has come into creation through your Son, Jesus Christ. We do rejoice and give you thanks and praise today for your presence among us, for the ways that your Holy Spirit is at work in and through us, to build a village of love and support and encouragement, a community that is prepared to bless your world and to bring forth life and life to its full for all who come, come to dwell with us and all who we meet out of the world. We thank you that you are with us in our homes and that you are with us in the midst of this pandemic. We thank you that you are strong to save in every situation, even the most frustrating or desired or dire circumstances. We thank you that you are with us this Christmas and every Christmas as you, as you help us to grow in love and in grace and into the full stature of your son Jesus, that we might be his body at work in the world. Lord, we come before you this morning to, to both give you thanks for your presence among us and to ask that you would make your presence felt in those places that still feel dark and, and lonely and difficult. We ask for your healing touch for, for those we know who are struggling with illness, particularly with the coronavirus. We ask that you would be present in, in our homes and also in hospitals and in prisons and in refugee camps. We ask that you would, that your Holy Spirit would, would be reaching out all across the world to those places where people feel abandoned and lost, that you would help them to know that your son Christ Jesus was born for them as well, and that your Holy Spirit can help lift them up and help them to stand, knowing that you are, that you have already overcome the world, and that you are working to save all people from every evil that tries to, tries to take down your good creation. Lord, we lift up to you those who have lost loved ones uh, this year. We remember before you, again, those particular saints of our congregation and family and friends that we have lost. We remember them before you and entrust them into your care. Even as we give thanks for the promise of resurrection that we have in your son Jesus. And Lord, we pray for those who are still with us. We pray for those who are um, who are standing next to sick beds this morning. Those who are estranged from loved ones because of quarantine, because of great physical distance. We pray that you would overcome this barrier as well, in order that all your people would feel connected and have a sense of that village that you came to give us. God, we pray that you would bless our church, that you would help us to have a new beginning as we look forward to this new calendar year. And we ask that you would be glorified in our lives as individuals and as a community as we encourage one another and welcome one another. We ask all these things as well as those prayers that are still within our hearts as we say together the prayer that your son Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this.
this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
sequences of anxiety and despair in the world. We fill those shoes. So we sing songs of hope because of the world's empty change. If you choose, you can fight against the fear that freezes the heart of men. We so choose. So we will tell the love that conquers the fear, the love of the child and the manger. The choice is ours to make how we live into the possibilities of Christmas. The beauty is that we do not live out our choice by our own strength. Go with God, who feeds our hopes and quiets our fears, always and everywhere. <laughs> do you ever plan them ahead or are you just like, I think I'll just Sometimes. Do sometimes. Sometimes. Actually, <laughs> honestly, sometimes. Yeah. That's too funny. Happy New Year, that's right.
He's in the home. <laughs> no, I sent her home with Caleb. I sent I sent her home with Caleb. She's not here. She can't be in the sanctuary. Oh, that's a great idea. Maybe we can have a, a doggy play date. That carpet needs to be replaced anyway, right guys? <laughs> There you go. It'll be a good excuse. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. Oh, good. By this time next year, wow. <laughs> he did, didn't he? They're singing your praises, John Ryan. I told him. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm signing off. I'll see you later. God be with you all. Happy New Year. To send out right now. We got to train ah, up a little first. Whip her into shape some. Huh? Yeah. We don't want anybody getting knocked over or dragged around. No, she's still. Wait a minute. Oh, she's still fighting. Okay, I'm going. Bye. She's really good at reaching her paws on Oh, I bet. She's got that dexterity down. She's got a discriminating palate. See food and eat it. Well, if she eats the action, yeah.
He's the son of righteousness. 